right. Um, I'm reading out of John 4, uh, verses 20 through 24. <clears throat> Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It's part of what it's part of what it is. Like I just love driving and jamming. I love it. Now, singing, singing in the car, singing at home. There's songs we all like. I don't know if you're a country person or a metal person or a pop music person, but there's songs we sing. We know every word and we belt it in our car. And some of these songs mean a lot to us. These songs. Maybe they remind us of our, you know, our, our high school days, remind us of our childhood, whatever it is. Some of these songs get down deep, and these songs can very much become songs of praise. Maybe I sing songs that are like about love. So I'm singing songs where I'm just, love is the idea I'm expressing. Maybe the song is a song of sadness, and I'm singing a song expressing, expressing the sadness of my soul. These songs have these there's a heart to them, there's lyrics to them, and they come out of us. Now I want to say something to us. Whether you're a singer or not, I think, when, I think every human heart has a desire to worship something. Every one of us wants to find something to give our strength to, our praise to, our adoration to, our affection to. We, we are a people who have our, our, something inside of us looks outside of ourselves to find something to love, to celebrate, to talk well of. It can be food, it can be family, it can be success, it can be a cause, it can be political. We look for something to raise up and talk well about. Every one of us has inside of us a desire to worship something. In John chapter 4, Christ is going to talk, talk to this lady about worship. We're going to answer three questions today about worship. Question number one, where do we worship? Question number two, who do we worship? And question number three, how do we worship? Let's, let's, let's lay it out. Let's lay it all out. So question one, where do we worship? So let's give us some context. Let's, give us, let's set the table for us. Jesus is walking. That's what he does. He does a lot. And Jesus has left Jerusalem. 
He's left his hometown. He has left Flint, and he is in Holly, okay? He, he's, he's somewhere else. And he is in a place, see, he has crossed not only town lines, he has crossed racial lines. The brown kid's gone to the white neighborhood. There's a racial, there's a racial um, antagonism between the Jews and the Samaritans. They're not friends. The Samaritans hang out in their, their country. The Jews hang out in their country. Never the twain shall meet. Jews usually will go around Samaria to go to the south. Jesus is in a hurry. He's cutting right through. And he's walking through. It's the middle of the day. It's noon. Sits down at a well to chill out. Tells the disciples, disciples, go get us some food. So they leave. He's alone at a well at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And the well's empty. Because at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, the sun is at its highest point in the sky. You don't go get water when it's hot and gross. I lived in India for a while. And in India, we did not have water in our house in India. There was a, um, at the, there was a place in the village where you'd go to this pump and you'd go, you know, you'd pump the water into your vessel. And people went in the morning and in the evening. Because that's when it was cool, before the sun came out. No, listen, in the morning, all the women of the village would be around the water, and they'd be talking, laughing, sharing the village gossip. That was morning, that was evening. Well, Jesus is there in the middle of the day, and some lone woman comes walking to the well. And she's coming there at noon for a reason. She knows the well will be empty. She, for some reason, is an outcast from the other women of the village. And you might say, well, how come the women are doing all the work? It's what it was back then. It was a man's world, dude. The men sat on the porch, talked trash. The women had to go do all the work. It, I'm sorry. It's not, I, I, it's not, I didn't write the rules. But the women would go and do the work. So she's going there at noon, and she's going there when there's no one else around, and she's going to draw, she brings her bucket, she's going to draw water for herself and for her home. Now she sees Jesus there, and she's like, man, I was hoping to come here, and no one would be here. And here's this random dude standing here. She ignores him, and she goes to the well. And Jesus talks to her. He goes, ma'am, can you give me some water to drink? And she goes, why are you talking to me? She's like, you're Jewish. I'm Samaritan. Our peoples are not friends. Not only that, you're a strange man. I'm a strange woman. We shouldn't be talking to her in a talk, in a gossip about us. Like, oh, I've got a new boyfriend. Like, you're breaking all kinds of rules right now talking to me. Why are you talking to me? And Jesus just goes, if you knew who was talking to you and who asked you for a drink, you'd ask me for a drink, and I'd give you living water. And she goes, but sir, you don't have a bucket. She's, she's missing the point. And she's like, the, the, the well is deep, you have no bucket. And the well is deep, the well is still there to this day. And the well is 110 feet to the water. It's a lot of rope. So you have no bucket. He goes, ma'am, if you draw water from this well and drink it, you will need more water tomorrow, right? You'll be thirsty again tomorrow. If you take the water I have, if you drink the water I will give you, you'll drink of it and never be thirsty again. That's a stinking, that's some good advertising. 
Like, I'm giving you a lifetime warranty on the water I got. And this lady, she says, give me some of that. I want some of that water. Give me the good stuff. And he goes, sure. Where's your husband? Come on back. I'll hook you up. And she goes, sir, I have no husband. And then Jesus drops a truth bomb on her. Jesus goes, you've spoken truly, you have no husband. You've been married five times. And the man you live with now is not your husband. The reason this woman comes to the well in the middle of the day, the reason she avoids in the winter of the village, because she has a reputation in the village. She's an outcast, an outsider. There are words people say about her life, her decisions, what's happened to her. Maybe she's been abandoned five times. Maybe she's made unwise decisions and married five terrible men. We don't know. Whatever happened, we know that in that world, divorce is seen very, very badly, frowned upon. She has a rep. And Jesus knows that rep. He impossibly knows the cause of all her shame. I know why you come here in the middle of the day. I know the shame and the hurt you carry. That would be a horrifying moment for any of us. Some random stranger just reveals, I know the darkness in you. And she says, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Like you are a man of God. And then she asks a question. Because you're a man of God, I got a question about God for you. She's like, she had a question in her mind for years. She meets this random prophet guy. She's like, I'm going to ask you. You tell me what's what. She goes, our fathers worshipped on that mountain. See, they're in a village called Sychar. It's right next to Mount Gerizim. And the Samaritans built a temple up on that mountain and said, this is the temple of God. This is the house of God. We worship God here. She goes, she goes we worship God up on that mountain, but your people, the Jews, say, that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So her question very simply is, where do I worship? Which is the right mountain? I want to come to God, and she assumes, if I want to come to God, i got to know the right place, the right time to get to him. Give me the map to get to this mysterious God that's so hard to find. Now listen. This superstitious religious understanding is something that's even in our lives today. I was not raised in church world. I was raised outside of the church. So my only understanding of what the church was came from movies, specifically horror movies. <laughs> because in horror movies, if you wanted to be saved from the vampires, where did you go? Why? Why did you go to church? It was holy ground. If you went to the church, the vampires were like, we can't come in because it's so holy. So as a kid, I always thought the church is, like, and, and people talk this way. I've heard so, I've invited, I, I'm a pastor, I invite people to church. I'm like, hey, listen, I pastor over this church, you want to come see us? Come see us on Sunday. And they'll say things like, oh man, if I walked into that church, the building would fall down. <laughs> or they'll say, if I walked into that church, I'd catch on fire. Their assumption is this place 
like the ground and the building and the wood and the carpet somehow has like holiness built in. That you come here, you're closer to God than being somewhere else. I thought that way for a long time. Even when I first started going to church, I'm a brand new Christian, I'm trying to follow Jesus, I'd have a hard day. You know what I would do? No lie. I used to go to a church called Faith Baptist Church in Waterford. The River Church Waterford now. And when I was there, they built a brand new sanctuary on the big side of it. I would walk around my bike or walk up to the church in the middle of the night. I'd break in the construction area of the church, and I'd go pray at the altar. I'm like, i got to get to the Lord. So I'd go break in the church and get, I'm like, like I need you, Lord. Stop breaking, entering, and doing all this nonsense. Because I thought God was there. i got to go to the church to get near him. And a lot of us have these weird thoughts, like, I have to go somewhere special to be near God. She asked the question, where do I go? Do I go to this mountain or your mountain? How do I get to him? And Jesus says to her, he goes, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither on that mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You know what he says? Neither. You don't need that temple. You don't need the Jewish temple. The hour is coming. And the assumption is, the implication is, where do we worship? Anywhere you happen to be. Where do we worship? Anywhere. Listen, your pastor is telling you, you don't have to come to church to worship God. Now, I'm not saying stop coming. I'm not saying that. But I am saying this building's not holy ground. If this place burned down this week, we got two tents in the back. <laughs> what makes, what, we don't come together because this place is so awesome. We have been in seven buildings in eight years of the church. We've been in basements, homeless shelters, Parking lots, the place didn't make it holy. The people made it God's house. Us together, loving each other. This is, the reason we come and come together on Sundays is because we need one another. We can't do this alone. We need connection and friendship. But you know what? Sometimes you can't come down. We have people right now who are in long-term care facilities who watch online every single Sunday. And they watch and they worship God from the hospital. Miss Tammy, can we worship God from the hospital bed? Dang straight we can. We, wherever, we, listen, wherever you happen to be, you can approach the living God. Around your kitchen table, you can grab the hands of your family. Or even sitting there alone with your stinking, you know, whatever you made for dinner. You sit there, bow your head, and enter into God's presence right there at the table. You can literally, on the side of your bed, bow down your knees, old school little kid, hands together, head bowed, and right there in your room, approach the Lord. Anywhere. Some of us think, i got to go to this special place to find him. No, you don't. 
I don't care how far or how long you run. Listen to what it says next. So where? So first question, where do we worship? The answer is anywhere. So say it to me. Where do we worship? Anywhere. Anywhere. Next. He's going to break down what God is like. He says, not, it's not here, it's not there. Verse 23, an hour is coming. Now, he said that twice in this passage. An hour is coming. He means his own death. When I die, it changes everything. When Jesus dies, no lie, Christ dies outside Jerusalem on Golgotha Hill. And when he dies, inside the city walls, inside the holy temple, inside the holy place, there's this most holy place with this big old curtain. And the Ark of the Covenant is behind that big old curtain. And when Christ dies, Scripture tells us that curtain rips down the middle and falls down. Because wherever we are, if we're in Christ, we can approach God without that temple. The hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So, where do we worship? Anywhere. Dang straight. Who do we worship? Now, when it comes to who do we worship, I've heard a lot of people say things like, well, the God I believe in, dot, dot, dot. We're not allowed to do that. God is not a buffet that we get to choose what we like to put on our plate. A little reincarnation. I'll put a little bit of this. We don't get to choose what we want God to be. Instead, instead, who has God revealed himself to be? And it says right here, God is spirit. God is spirit. What does this mean? God is spirit. The word spirit is a Greek word, pneuma. This word pneuma has three meanings in Greek. It means breath. It means wind. It means spirit. God is spirit. We're told here that God is invisible. He's not like us. I am a physical creature, as are you. These bodies we live in, they can be changed over time. The hair can turn from beautiful jet black to... to to the mighty silver fox. It happens. These muscles can get weaker over time. This, I have all these scars on my arms. I can look and tell you where they came from. One of the scars is from all those carryout. When I was like eight, 15 years old, I pulled bread out of an oven and the, the tray touched my arm. I didn't realize it until you heard the sizzling, you know. And I left a burn mark. It's still there. This body can be changed. It's a physical thing in a physical world. It ages. It's corruptible. It falls down. Have you ever, in your life, have you ever um, told two people, at this, like, I will go to your cool event 
You say, Mama, I'll be at the party to your friends. Oh, dude, I'll be at that thing. And it's the same day, same time. And what do you say when you make the mistake? You say, I can't be in two places at once. As physical creatures, we can't be in two places at once. We can't. But God is spirit. He can. The reason we can worship God anywhere because he's not like us. He's spirit. And his spirit fills the earth. In Psalm 139, it says, where can I run from your spirit? And he says things like, if I ascend to the heavens, you'll find me. Even if I make my bed in hell, still there you will find me. He says, there's nowhere I can run this world that you're not already there. God's spirit is everywhere. Which means, whatever you're going through and whatever you're facing, even if you feel like, God, you feel far from me, he may feel far from you, but he's right there. God is spirit. He is present with you. It's why, as followers of God, we don't make images of God. Remember the second commandment says, thou shalt make no graven images? Because he's spirit. We can't make a cow. This is the Lord. We can't make images and say, this is him, because it's not him. He's not physical like we are. Because he's spiritual, he's, he's everywhere. He's in all places at once. And because he's invisible, because he's spirit, this is the hard piece. Because he's spirit, we have to walk by faith. That's stinking hard. Following an invisible God that we cannot see is difficult. We walk by faith and not by sight. We're told that um, after Christ rose again, Thomas is not there when everyone sees Jesus. And Thomas comes later, and the disciples tell him, we've seen the Lord risen from the dead. And Thomas goes, you guys are pranking me. I don't believe you. Thomas says, unless I touch the wounds in his hands, unless I touch the spear wound on his side, I will not believe when Christ comes back. He goes, Thomas, touch my hand and touch my side. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says to him, Blessed are you who have seen and believed, but more blessed are those who have not seen and will believe. And that's us. I've never seen Jesus. I can't see God. We worship the invisible God, and it's tough. Walking by faith is tough. Storm, storms can look really big. And it's like, where is, where is God? It's why deep down, Heaven is such a beautiful thought because someday I will not, I will no longer walk by, I I will never walk by faith, I will walk by sight. It says that right now I see through a glass darkly, but then I will see as I am seen. The God I've been chasing my whole life, only when I lay my body down and close my forever will I see him again. Yesterday, Angie's grandma turned 99 years old, and we had a birthday party for her. It's old. She had, dude, she has beautiful, not gray, white, angelic white hair. All the girls are like, how do I get that? We do a big group picture, and she, and, and she turns around and thanks us all for coming. She says, next year, I'm turning 100, I want you all to be back here. And she says, 
And if I don't make it, if I die before then, I'll see you in heaven. And I was like, that's, that's right. And she wasn't afraid of it. She, she talked about it. There was a longing in her soul for it. This readiness to go home. God is spirit. It's hard to follow him. That's who he is. Now, sometimes the Bible does say things like, Moses saw God face to face. He said, well, he has a face. He must have a body. When the Bible says things like face to face, it's, um, it's meant to denote imagery. It's, 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 meant to demote, uh, it's meant to imply intimacy. Um, when you say to somebody, say that to my face, you don't mean get in my face and yell at me. You mean in person, right? That's what you mean. These, so when it says that God saw Moses face to face, it means that God was a friend of Moses. God does not have a body like we have a body. God is spirit. So where do we worship? Who do we worship? God is spirit. Who do we worship? God is spirit. Lastly, how do we worship? He says, God is spirit, verse 24. And because of this, those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So how do we worship? In spirit and in truth. So, what does that mean? That means this. So, there's two mountains. There's Mount Gerizim for the Samaritans and Jerusalem for the Jews. Mount Gerizim, the Samaritans... They were sincere in their worship. They had a right spirit. They wanted to meet God. But their thoughts about him were all wrong. They made up what they wanted and worshipped that. They were all spirit, but no truth. Well, in Jerusalem, the Jews, they had the law, the prophets, the writing, the Old Testament. They had the truth. But Christ would say to them so often, you guys are like, he says, he called them whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you're beautiful. Inside, dead men's bones. They had all the right ideas and no heart. No sincerity. It was a show. And Christ says, listen, if you're going to worship God, you need that right heart and right beliefs. It's not one or the other, it's both and. Now some churches I know, like for example, our charismatic brothers, okay? Love them. The, the Christian church is really big. There's a lot of us. We are a big, dysfunctional family, and it's great. <laughs> our charismatic brothers, uh, this way, I'm sorry, over here. Our charismatic brothers, their spirits are so sweet. They sing with all the passion in the world, dude. They write the best songs we got in the church. Like Bethel and Hillsong and those guys. Those guys crush it musically because they love to sing praises to God. But sometimes they can be really uh, loose with their doctrine. I heard this really famous guy in this part of the world. Teaching, it's a teaching that's been spreading around the church. This teaching that if you want more anointing, Go to the grave of a dead great person, lay on their grave, and absorb their anointing from their dead bones. That's real bad. That's real bad. A lot of spirit. Ah, like, truth a little janky jank, okay? 
But over here, got our Presbyterian brothers, our Reformed brothers, our Baptist brothers. And those guys, they dot every I and cross every T. They're like, well, the Bible, verse 22, chapter 1, there's Bible, Bible, Bible. But some of those guys are big old jerks. They're trying to police everybody. If someone says one wrong thing, that's not what it says. Chapter and verse, chapter and verse. And it can be very pharisaical. They have all this truth, but do I've been in churches that have preached to people? And you look at the faces of the people that are, that, are, that are worshiping God and praise, and it's like everyone there's dog died that morning. No one's happy. Everyone's like, God is so great. Like, there's no spirit, there's no passion, it's just dead orthodoxy. It's all this true thought and no sincerity. We need both things. Spirit, a true heart of worship. When you come here and sing songs, don't do it for your neighbors. Listen, if you, some people like to raise their hand in worship. That feels good to you, do it. If that, if that does not feel natural for you, don't feel pressure to do it. We're free to worship with different people. Me, when I get in the zone, with like, like my worship zone, some people in the zone, they're just like, blood out, two hands. When I get in the zone, I go low. I'm on my knees low. You don't got to be me, and I don't got to be you. I'm not doing it for you. You're not doing it for me. It's a sincere heart to the Lord. You want a right heart, a sincere heart, not a show. You're going to God. But you also got to go to the Word. God, tell me what you're like. We're not allowed to build a God of our own choosing. We read the Word to know what He's like. God, show me who you are as I worship you more truly, more effectively. If I know the actual promises, I know what to claim. We are people of the heart and of the book, of passion and of truth. So where do we worship? Who do we worship? God is spirit. And how do we worship? In spirit and in truth. Heart and head. Not one or the other. Heart and head. That hurts. Uh, so what do you do with this teaching? Listen. If you can go to God anywhere, there's no excuse not to go to him. In my house, our kitchen table is a place we always call upon the name of the Lord. It's not a super long prayer. We're not, I mean, not the food will get cold. You go too long, you know? The food's all there. <laughs> my, my one kid, I won't say which one, is usually done before we pray. It's usually like, there's a mower, we're going to pray. The hands are already dirty, like, oh, like. But it's great. At the table, we as a family, we join hands or touch wrists, depending on who's dirty. And we thank the Lord for his kindness for giving us food. We pray at night together as a family. 
oftentimes right in the living room. I have a dog on me. One kid's laying down. One kid runs away. And we just thank God for the day and for our family and we go to sleep. Maybe you can, for lunch, you go out to the car and you just, during lunch, you call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, I need you. It's been a hard day. I'm feeling ticked off. Guard my heart. Guard my mouth. Whatever you need to do. Anywhere. You don't need to be at this altar. You don't need three hours. If you have a few minutes, steal that time and call upon the name of the Lord. Anywhere. Because he's spirit, I encourage you. I know it's hard to follow by faith. I'll tell you what Paul tells us. Do not grow weary in doing good. Don't give up. Endure. Keep on chasing our invisible God. Because even though he's invisible, even though he's invisible, we can still see him move, can't we? As Billy Graham once said so well, I've never seen the wind, but I see the effects of the wind. I can't see the wind, but I see the tree branches move. As we end our time together, we're going to end with another act of worship. We're going to take communion together. What is communion? Communion is the bread and the cup. On the night when Christ was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and said, eat this. This is my body which is broken for you. And the twelve ate the bread. He took the cup and said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the remission of sins. Take and drink. And they drank. And he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So for 2,000 years, the church has been breaking bread and drinking of the cup. And we do it for two reasons. One, we look backwards. Christ died and opened the way to the Father. Thanks be to God. If he did not die on that cross, we'd still be wondering, this mountain or that mountain? Because he died anywhere. Praise be to God. So we take the, the cup and the bread to remember Christ died that we may live. We look backward. We also look forward. We do it until he returns. When Christ returns, on that day we will walk by sight and not by faith. We wait for him to return. So who can take of this? You don't got to be a member of Flint City Church. If you love Jesus, you may take. If you're here and you love Christ, you can go ahead and take. If you're here and you and God, maybe you're not talking right now. Maybe you don't know what you believe. Let it pass by you. It's okay. No harm, no foul. I'm not going to call you and go, Hey, I saw you not take that communion this Sunday. What's up with that? I'm not going to call you out. You have freedom. Freedom. So we're going to have ushers come forward. We're going to pass communion. Go ahead and take one and hold it. When we all have it, we'll take together, okay? So in this silence, as these are being passed around, you go ahead, you go ahead, and take some time to pray to get your heart right as these are passed out.
those of you at home watching online, you can go ahead and get any kind of bread or water and take. You have one, brother. Okay. At this time, we're going to remove the clear, not the purple, but the clear, and reveal the, the white piece of wafer bread. So move the, the clear up and reveal the white piece of bread. On the night Christ was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it. This is my body which is broken for you. Let us take. Let's open the purple now to get to the juice. Jesus said, in the same way, he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the remission of your sins. Let us take. Let me pray over you, church. God in heaven, thank you for your word that is true. It reveals you to us. Every one of us in this room, Lord, we carry with us burdens and fears, joys and sorrows. And only you know all of them, Lord. But I believe your word speaks to all of us uniquely this day. You give each one of us a little bit that we need to help us go on tomorrow and for this week. Thank you for dying that we may live. Thank you for sending your son to stand in our place that we may know life instead of death, sonship instead of orphanhood. Thank you for this, O Lord. Go with us all as we leave this place. Let us leave this place and be your people, loving, kind, gracious, full of joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, long-suffering. Let us be this people. We ask these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.